We got Gary on the line. What do you want to ask him? Well, I'd love to chat about logistics for a bit. If you're managing multiple properties, how do you organize your property log? What's your process? There's two main things that we have and anyone can do it. It's using Google Drive and our property management team has access. We have access. So we have our weekly sheet that they have to put in as far as what units are available. And it breaks it down for every unit type, what our occupancy is, when units get leased up, what was their previous rent, what's their new rent. It gives us all the information on one page. And each week we start a new tab. So we can go back and see where was delinquency at the 15th of the month last month or the month before, because we want to see trends. How quickly are we leasing up and why is leasing going downwards or upwards? There's all these different things on one sheet versus the property management company would send us a report that was seven pages long and it was like a PDF. So having that Google Drive is really important. And then our second piece is we have an Excel sheet with the tasks and that includes CapEx and whatnot. So we can have the task, what needs to get done, any notes, and when it was completed. And each week we go through all the different tasks that are still open. And if you haven't completed it and it was supposed to be completed, you're going to be called out. And so it was a really good accountability. It's a good way to keep track of everything. This is the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast, and I'm your host, Brian Briscoe. Now, this podcast is designed for the aspiring apartment investor and literally gives them the opportunity to ask the questions that will help them get to the next level. So if you're an aspiring apartment investor, this podcast is for you. Now, this podcast is brought to you by the Tribe of Titans Multifamily Educational Community. It's your one-stop shop for learning how to succeed at apartment investing. Welcome to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast. I'm your host, Brian Briscoe. Very excited for today's show. We've got two amazing guests on the line. We've got Gary Lipsky with us and Joseph Overd. So Gary, as is tradition, you're you're to bat first. So please do us a favor. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into multifamily. Yeah, I wish my parents actually talked about real estate when I was younger. They never did, even though they were CPA and my grandfather was a lawyer, but never talked about it. But really... When I bought my first house in 2002, I didn't look at it as my forever home like my parents. I looked at it as an investment. We bought in a, a good neighborhood and we were able to convert the garage to an office and open up the kitchen. So I didn't know at the time I was doing my value at then, but that really got my juices flowing way back when. But it took many years later to really get into real estate full-time. What were you doing professionally at that time? So at that time, I was I just left the film business. I co-produced three independent films in my 20s. And I started a new company. We were running after-school programs, outdoor ed, and leadership development for kids throughout Southern California. I ended up selling that at the end of 2016. Mm -hmm. We were working with 9,000 kids daily. We had over 700 employees. But we were doing great work, but we were basically a for-profit and non-profit world. And there was a ceiling. I had set up a really good team and I was ready for my next challenge in life. And I was really excited about real estate. And I had done a little bit, of, you know, some single family stuff like that. But this gave me some time and money to really start investing in other people's deals and time to really educate myself on what I wanted to do in real estate. And I found multifamily, which was Mm-hmm. A really good fit for me because it was like running a business, which I had done yep. since I was in elementary school, basically. 
Yeah. Speaking of the elementary school business, uh, I, I just found out that my my daughter is an incredible artist. I mean, as an 11 year old and caveat that, you know, she, she can't paint like Picasso yet, but she's running her own little business herself. She draws pictures for other people and charges them for it. I found that out yesterday and I was like fist pump. I'm like, yeah, good job, you know, <laughs> but yeah, so she's going to be following your footsteps, you know, the 11 year old entrepreneur. Now, how did your previous business experience help you when it came to starting multifamily? Absolutely. I always was good with numbers and had that creative side. And a lot of it is is solving problems for other people. When I got started with that after school business, I had taught some sports programs for a while when I was in high school where you know, I used to work out there and a woman came up to me that worked there and it's like, my instructor didn't show up. Can you teach sports to kids? I'm like, yeah, I get paid for it. That's okay. I'd love to do that. <laughs> yeah. So I met with a school, a, a friend introduced me to a school. They said, I need a lifeguard. And I said, sure, I've got a lifeguard. And I went on Craigslist, hired lifeguard. And, you know, it kind of grew from there, solving problems for school, school districts. Mm -hmm. And every year we did just enough to keep going, just enough to keep going and kind of just started growing and growing and growing from there. And it was a lot of fun to see it grow. Nice. So yeah, problem solving occurs in every business. And that's what you're doing in multifamily a lot of times is you know solving problems. So question for you, and you you co-authored a book and I, I, can, I can see it behind you, right there behind me on my shelf too. I just have my virtual background up, but best in class, you know, it's, a, it's an asset management book. What prompted you to write that or co-author that one. There was nothing out there that talked about asset management. There was programs out there that teach you how to get your first deal, but no one really talks about what to do after you get that deal. I had been doing this for, for many, many years. I was fairly new, but I had that experience running businesses before. And so I was utilizing that strength as well as we had started a podcast on asset management as well. And so we would bring on guests that we wanted to learn from and to really kind of uh, rocket fuel our education. And we included some of the stuff that we didn't know in, in that book as well. And it forced us to kind of raise our game and put everything on paper. It had a, a lot of different reasons for writing it. And mm -hmm. uh, I don't think there's a conference I go to now that someone doesn't come up to me and, and say, hey, man, this book has done so much for me. I really appreciate yeah. it. So it's been pretty cool. You know, and I, I will say it's the only asset management book that I know of that's specific to multifamily. And it's the same thing, you know, when, when I have questions on multifamily or people ask me questions on, you know, asset management, if I don't have the answer, you know, that's why it's on the bookshelf right behind me. So I don't have to get up to get it. First of all, thanks for writing that. I think it's a lot of, there's a lot of goodness there. And so second, I'm going to double down on one of the points you made. You said you started a podcast on asset management, partly to learn. And just doing this podcast, I think I've learned more from podcasting than I could have from short of doing the actual job. I, I think I learned more from podcasting than anything else ever. Great way to learn. Now, you also had uh, the asset management summit going on are you doing that again this year no plans right now we've been so busy yep. uh doing tons of deals so i keep saying like it's on my calendar once a month mm -hmm. you know i keep pushing it back like okay when are we gonna do this again when are we gonna do this again yeah. but um you know there's just a lot of different conferences out there really nothing on just asset management mm -hmm. so there, there we still have that niche but it hasn't been one of my of my highest priorities of, of yeah. late but something that i'd consider doing yeah. In, and, in the next six. I will say that the previous ones have been extremely valuable. I know the contents on Kajabi and I, I've gone back to that app several times. Almost every conference I go to, I, I, I pay the extra price to get the recordings. And 
to be honest, 100%. First of all, I hate it when people start that phrase. I'm like, are you are you not honest you know, on, on a normal day? But uh, I'll still use it. To be honest, that Real Estate Asset Management Summit, that's the stuff that I actually go back to and listen. You know, Because once again, there's just not a lot of information out there. You know, I think uh, most of the other conferences, you're going to hear the same things from different people every time. And it's a very, very unique one. So anyway, let, let me know when it comes out again and uh, I'll, I'll be first in line to, to get the tickets. So anyway, that said, talk about, I like to talk to people about, you know, what motivates them and what uh, what get, keeps them energized in this business. So question for you, what is your big burning why? Yeah, it's build wealth for my friends that invest, my family to be able to control my own destiny where I thought some of the other businesses I had, I couldn't necessarily control my own destiny. I was relying on other people. And and mm-hmm. here there is definitely a payoff and you can control your own destiny, unlike a lot of other things. And I love the challenge and because I can use my creative and my business side. So this uh this is this fuel for me every single day. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. Be able to c- control your destiny. I think that's that's very powerful. Um when I when I was in a W two when I, I left it just actually a year ago today was the the last day I got a W two income but uh, when I was in a W two that was my biggest complaint is I didn't feel like I had control over much so uh, I, I think that's that's a big reason why a lot of people move to to multifamily um, now let, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about you know one of the properties you've done and you know pick your first or your favorite or alternatively tell us what you're looking for in in deals. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll talk about a deal we sold recently. Mm-hmm. Um, it was um, definitely a unicorn. It hit it out of, out of the park, going back to our baseball mm-hmm. reference. Yeah. But even though we hit it out of the park, I mean, there was from the day we closed, there was struggles all the way up to the very end. There was struggles all the way, you know, running it and, and then selling it too. So, you know, just because something was, was a tremendous success. Um, it definitely put us through through the meat grinder. But it was, you know, again, so we bought this property um, because we followed up on a deal that kind of fell apart. We mm-hmm. assumed the loan, and other people didn't want to assume the loan. We brought in a pref equity partner, which allowed a lot more return for our investors and and really cheap debt. Basically, um, we dealt with all the punches thrown our way and worked our way through COVID and, and sold it at the right time. And we had an institutional buyer who mm-hmm. really was a, a pain in the neck um, <laughs> up until we sell, sold it. But, you know, again, we we dealt with everything they they sent our way and I'm very pleased at the at the uh, at the end of the day. Nice, nice, nice. Where, where was that property? Tucson. We've done 80 percent of our deals in, in Tucson. Okay. Yeah. I know, I know you're very active in Arizona, Tucson. Do you, have, do you have properties in Phoenix as well? Or is it just, just. Yeah. We have one other property in Phoenix right now. It's a, an adaptive reuse property. We bought garden office space. We're converting to multifamily. So out of the existing nice. build, we're going to get 44 units and we're building, we're about to start building the 60 new units on, on the lot. Nice. So converting office, um, I, I think I hear a lot of hotel conversions, but I think post COVID you're going to see I don't know why we haven't seen more office to multifamily conversions because I think office space nationwide has not done incredibly great the last couple of years. Um, did, were you were you looking for an office to multifamily conversion or did that just fall in your lap? 
we were open. We were looking at a lot of different deals. We we're looking at a, a hotel conversions, really more motel conversions. So, mm-hmm. you know, two stories. And yep. this kind of fell into our lap and, and it had been sitting on the market for a year. Mm-hmm. And um, the lender was like, what are you doing? Why are you spending like, you know, $1.9 million to sit on this, uh, to, 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 to buy this property that's been sitting forever. This yeah. is ridiculous. I'm like, stop looking at it as office space, start looking at multifamily. Mm-hmm. And then I want to hear what you're going to say, you know? And, and he was, he loved the deal. Um, and um uh, it, it's going to be a home run for us, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, definitely, you know, a needle in the haystack type of type of deal yeah. finding it, you know? Yeah. I like it. like it. Lo- love that you were able to see that too. Just, just the potential. I think, uh, you, you talk about the creative side and the business side. I think that takes a certain amount of creativity to look at something and, and see the potential instead of, you know, see it for what it currently is. So, um, good on you for that part. Uh, so yeah, ho- hopefully, hopefully that does turn into a home run, another baseball reference. So in the middle of the world series right now, so you might hear a lot of baseball references. We'll see. But that said, a bunch of properties in Tucson, one in Phoenix, been doing this asset management book and summit for a while. What's next for you? Yeah. So we, we just closed a deal about a week and a half ago. We, it got mm-hmm. us to a quarter billion dollars in total nice. real estate transactions. And just looking to continue to do good deals and manage our properties well. So we're not focused on getting to a billion dollars of assets under management where our effort is on transactions and, mm-hmm. and I want our effort on good deals. And that's the most important thing. Yeah. So keep building on our team and doing good deals and the rest will work itself out. I like that. I like that philosophy. I mean, I know there are people who are very transactional with this business where they're looking for that next acquisition fee and that big number at the end of the day, that AUM or the uh, the unit count. But I think you hit the nail on the head, you know, concentrate on, on doing the business right and everything else will fall into place. Appreciate that. That said, we're going to shift gears a little bit and bring Joseph on the line. So Joseph, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. All right. Good to have you on the show. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Awesome. Now, besides being from Idaho Falls, you know, what else is there about you right now? And I say that to the for the listeners, you know, we, we live a couple of miles away from each other. We've met in person a couple of times. But anyway, that said, Joseph, take it away. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, yeah. We've we've lived for the last six, almost seven years in Idaho Falls. We moved here from the Salem, Oregon area. So just a little bit south of the, of Portland, Oregon. About an hour away from the coast. It's probably what we miss the most is friends and and being so close to the coast was really nice living yes. in that area. We loved taking the kids to the beach. But most of my background uh, was actually in operations, production management, that kind of thing, and worked for. It was kind of my first adult job from early twenties on. Uh, was working as a production manager for a company over in Salem, and just a lot of logistics and a lot of of uh, you know managing a team of producers and stuff like that. And so the, the asset management side of things is actually something I'm I'm very interested in, probably more adept in. So that's kind of like my professional background. And I guess my initial jump into being interested in like, especially commercial real estate mm-hmm. was when I was working for that company, we were renting space, uh, a warehouse space from a gentleman who's his company, he was a contractor and he built big, beautiful office buildings for these companies over in Portland and everything. And his kind of retirement plan was he built this big warehouse area and section it off for all these businesses to rent from him. And his retirement plan was just to live off of the cash flow, like 
paid out a loan and live off the cash flow for this building for kind of his retirement. And yeah. that like got my wheels spinning on, on you know, like the traditional story of, you know, re- reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad and needing assets. But that kind of came later. Like my initial mm-hmm. thought was, well, like, how do I get a hold of an asset like that? Or, you know, that kind of thing. I just, I just didn't know how it worked. Like I'd always wanted to get into some form of commercial real estate and kind of let it stew for quite a few years. And mm-hmm. fast forward to just a few months ago where I kind of got introduced to multifamily because years had gone by and commercial real estate, especially office had really kind of gone downhill. And I was like, well, maybe it's not as steady as I thought it was. And I got introduced to multifamily. And that's really when the first time that I realized, well, you don't need millions of dollars to get started and, and that kind of thing. And and so that's that's really kind of where my background into what got me interested in, in multifamily specifically. Interesting. I mean, something that I noticed, and I think our our stories parallel each other in a lot of ways. I remember as a college student, you know, my my roommates and I, or my neighbors and I, would sit around and be like, "How many units are there in this apartment complex?" And we'd we'd count up the units and we'd multiply it by our rent. And we're like, "Man, these guys are making a ton of money." I mean, not realizing the expenses and debt and everything else, but yeah. you know, at some point early on, you know, I, I could do the math and I, I realized it was lucrative and. You know, people can make some decent money, but it took me many, many years to follow up on it. But yeah, I mean, I started when I was 40 something instead of 50 something. So I, I guess we're okay. But anyway, that said, you know, what's what's your reason for doing this? What's your big burning why? Very much the same as a lot of people, I think, of, you know, kind of escaping the nine to five, the W-2 job. I've always had that kind of entrepreneurial drive. Even my education, like when I, I went to business school and got a pretty standard business management degree, but the focus was entrepreneurial management and like, you know, startups and how to get funding and and all this kind of stuff. And so even my degree kind of mirrors that. It all boils down to you're in a W-2 job. The more successful you become the more is demanded of you, the less time you have with your family. And this is the first time that I think I, you know, I feel like I found something that the more successful I get, the more time I will have. Mm-hmm. And that's really my why. I've got a big family. I've got kids that are growing up. I've got older kids that I feel like I missed a good chunk of their childhood. And I've got younger kids that I don't want to do the same thing yeah. with. And that's really my my why is being able to invest like this will hopefully give me a lot more time to spend with my kids before they're Grown and gone kind of thing. Uh, just a question. How many kids do you have? <laughs> I have eight children. Yep. And, I knew uh, the answer to that. That's why I brought it up. One, one of the few people that has, my, my wife and I have five and, you know, he's, he's one of the few people that has more. So anyway, yeah, the big family is cool. Yeah. The normal reaction is shock and awe. And yeah, but, uh, but yeah. Yeah. It's like, holy cow. I mean, that, that was my reaction too. And I got five. I mean, I, my, my wife and I joke around with like, oh my gosh, how can we handle five? But anyway, yeah. So big families are cool. You know, thanks for sharing your, your why with us and, and your story, but we're going to shift gears one more time. And, and Joseph, I'm going to hand you the mic figuratively, but time's now yours. We got Gary on the line. What do you want to ask him? Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, first of all, thank you, Gary, for the opportunity to ask you questions. I actually, I bought your book this morning. Like I've only just kind of started, but after this is done, I'm going to go right back to it. Because again, like my background is very much in that operations and what happens after that acquisition point, that kind of thing. I've partnered with somebody down in the Houston area who's really good at like the talking to brokers and all that kind of stuff. But my mind is gearing more towards, all right, well, once that close happens, executing that business plan is really kind of where my mind is going. Um, But I wanted to ask, what asset class do you typically invest in? The kind of older 70s vintage or, or, you know, that kind of question, first of all. 
we're always looking for value. So we've done B and C class multifamily, but it's always about value. We, most of it's been 70s. We just our last two deals was a 73 product and a 64 product, but we got phenomenal deals on them. It's not necessarily that I'm going to hold them for five, seven years, but tremendous loss to lease that we could burn off and bring units up easily $450 on renovated units for both properties. And we have another property right near there too. So we're always looking for value. That's the most important thing. I prefer 80s and above, but you'll find some of your best deals are going to be a little bit older, quite honestly. Gotcha. No, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, now, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to go uh, off script here. I'm going to throw a question in for Gary. Do you find C-class to be more difficult on the management side than B-class? And I, I guess similar question for you know older versus newer. But you're relying on a third-party property management company to, to handle those things. Yeah. So yes, there's more. You're gonna might you might have a little bit more delinquency. You're gonna have more plumbing issues, maybe roof. If you build that capex in and have that extra cash reserves, then you're fine. But if someone is aggressively going after deals and doesn't have that kind of buffer, you're gonna have a lot more problems on your hands. All right, All back right. to you, Joseph. Sorry for. Uh... For taking taking some of your thunder. No, no, that's all right. I appreciate it. Well, I'd love to chat about logistics for a bit. If you're managing multiple properties, how do you organize your property log? Do you use any kind of specific software for asset management or what's your process? We've used RealPage before. It connects to Yardi that our property management company has used and we've gone KPIs that way. But really, I mean, you can get all, all those KPIs anyway from, from the Yardi software. The, there's two main things that we have and anyone can do it. It's using Google Drive and our property management team has access. We have access. So we have our weekly sheet that they have to put in as far as what units are available. And it breaks it down for every unit type, what our occupancy is, when units get leased up, what was their previous rent, what's their new rent. It gives us all the information on one page. And each week we start a new tab. So we can go back and see, where was delinquency at the 15th of the month last month or the month before? Because we want to see trends. How quickly are we leasing up and why is leasing going downwards or upwards? And there's all these different things on one sheet versus the property management company would send us a report that was seven pages long and it was like a PDF. So having that Google Drive is really important. And then our second piece is we have an Excel spread with the tasks and that includes CapEx and whatnot. So we can have the task, what needs to get done, any notes and when it was completed. And each week we go through all the different tasks that are still open. And if you haven't completed it and it was supposed to be completed, you're going to be called out. And so it was a really good accountability. It's a good way to keep track of everything too. You've got a bunch of properties. It's impossible to remember everything or, or write it down somewhere. So each week we write it down within our during our weekly call and just track it. And it's we you know we we have it. It's on Zoom and everyone can see and everyone can have access. And it's nice. it's free. So really yeah. easy. I'll point out that most people I talk to that do asset management use the very low tech solutions. I know the property management software does have you know capabilities for reports, but it's almost 100% of the people that I talk with that are just like, yeah, we use Excel or we use Google Drive or we use Dropbox or we use you know SharePoint. But it's, it's always one of those rather inexpensive software solutions that are available to everybody. Got it. No, that makes a lot of sense. So when you're having these you know, weekly calls with property management companies and everything, is that typically just like a financial report? Is there anything else that, that is included in that? Is it an actual call or is, is it just they send you the report? 
they fill out the Google form probably, let's say, an hour before the meeting. So I can look through it ahead of time in my asset manager because I, I have a, a full-time asset manager. We'll go through it, see what the things we want to talk about. Usually, it's, it's 99% is there's always leasing. You know, if we're doing great, if we're struggling, why are we struggling? Can we raise rents? Do we need to lower rents? Do we need to tweak our advertising? We'll secret shop them so we can discuss that. How quickly renovations are getting done, or we're typically it, they're a lot longer in the beginning because we're we're talking about our execution of our of our business plan. So, you know, getting vendors in there and doing the work. So yeah, typical a new property maybe thirty, maybe forty minutes, and then once we get humming along, maybe it's 10, 15 minutes. But it's still important, even if it was on a phone versus Zoom. You'll find out a lot more by having that face to face and and having that consistency every single week is is very very critical because things can fall by the wayside really quickly if you're not having those those interactions. And they know they need to be accountable when they come on the Zoom versus. If you're not having that call or if it's on a phone, it's you're not seeing them face to face too. So they could be a, a lot less accountable that way. Mm-hmm. No, that makes a lot of sense. So a follow-up question for something that you said was how many proper, properties did you have under management before you got to the point where you hired a full-time asset manager? Maybe four, I think. And mm-hmm. I was basically skating to you know where the puck was going. I I didn't necessarily need that person at that time, but I knew where I wanted to go and I needed to get him on board because the first few months he wasn't humming along. You know, it was I wanted him to see how I see things and, and get going. So it really took about the fourth month, and he was cranking. He was getting things done for me. You know, when we got a new property, the deal with the lender, all, all the requests that they had. So. He's been a, a really good hire, but it, it took a while to, to rev up, you know? No, that makes sense. Like I, I've been thinking a lot about kind of building uh, an asset management team because I want to get to the point where that's that's a necessity. <laughs> but yeah, so just just kind of how you built your team. So that's a really good example of, of part of that. Do, what other members of, of your team do you have besides just your your asset manager? Yeah, I have a full-time ops person. So she deals a lot with uh, investors, their their uh, subscription agreements, answering any questions, wiring information. She'll do some social media, do some research for us. So she's very helpful in that regard. And then I had a CFO. I uh, recently parted ways. It wasn't the best fit for either of us. And so I might split that position up into maybe a fractional CFO and maybe another full, like a, yeah. a fractional marketing person. There's a couple of different things that we're looking at because I don't have one person who doesn't have the skill sets that I need for a bunch of different things. I don't need a full time for all these different pieces. So yeah. figuring that out for our next steps and where where we want to grow to as well. Yeah, well, we, we, great. we had a fractional CFO for a while and interesting how that worked out. Worked out fairly well. We ended up parting ways when, you know, when I left the company, there was kind of a whole whole shakeup. But yeah, fra- getting fractional employees when you can do it, I think is is a lot better than trying to find one that's a, a you know jack of all, master of none type thing. Yeah, definitely. I would suggest definitely. don't don't wait too long because mm-hmm. I think that kind of slows down in the beginning. Like get someone or partner with someone, get that moving because that'll free you up tremendously to focus on some of your strengths. No, that makes a lot of sense. So what about uh, just finding like partners early on? Like if you're, what's your best advice for an aspiring investor like myself as far as finding the right people to partner with and uh, that that I want to work with handling a property? 
Yeah, I would, you know, go to meetups and conferences and you'll see people that you you like hanging out with and you want to find someone with a differing skill set. And so I had a partner for a while. We had kind of the same skill set. So mm-hmm. it got us from point A to point B, but it wasn't necessarily going to get us to point C. You know, we parted ways, still friendly, but it was, you know, worked out best for 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 both of us. Finding, you know, people with the same work ethic, same lifestyle and position in life because if someone's just starting a family and uh, you know my kids are a little bit older that could be a little bit different too someone might be tight on cash and you might be willing to invest cash into your business so finding those balances or having those discussions ahead of time can really really help but the beauty of this business is you could still partner up on deals and not officially be under the same company too which is which is nice i mean i I partnered with a, with a bunch of different people who I really enjoy working with, but we still have our own separate companies, you know. Something that I'll say, and you know, I, I left the company that I had co-founded, and I, I think the alignment, and, and Gary Gary mentioned this, you know, make sure you guys are completely aligned when you find the partnership. What I realized after the fact is we had alignment at the very beginning, and our alignment was we wanted to get into the business and, and basically gain experience. But once you got past that, you know, we weren't really aligned any further than that. And so I don't think there's anything wrong with starting a partnership, you know, to get into the business. But, you know, if you're looking for longevity or looking for something that's going to last a long time, you know, make sure the alignment is right and make sure it's more than just, you know, I want to get my first deal deep. No, that's great. What about um, like some networking tips? If I'm going to find these partners, what's what are some of the best ways? I mean, going to events and things like that. I guess maybe uh, maybe a story would would be best to illustrate. How would you? Uh, how did you find your partners on one of your investments? Mm-hmm. I wish I had a great story to tell, but uh, you know, going to the same meetups, going to different conferences, and it's exhausting going to these conferences. <laughs> You're talking to so many people nonstop. You know, you start seeing the same ones and and you know same same people, and and you you hit it off, and you know, and you talk about where. Um, what kind of deals you're looking for, what kind of deals they're looking for, what kind mm-hmm. of strengths that they bring to the table. And and then set up time afterwards because, you know, that one-on-one time, whether it's a, a lunch, a dinner, a call, some, you know, spend more time with that person if you're thinking about partnering with them outside of that conference to really develop a relationship. You know, maybe you partner on a deal together and you have your your, your separate companies and outline responsibilities. And if you want to take that further, then you could potentially, you know, do that if if it's working out with you. You know, you could kind of test drive that partnership a little bit. I got a story, and then I'll, I'll make it quick because we're we're getting close to the the end of the time. But uh, when Four Oaks Capital came together, it was basically two of us in the same networking group. It was a multifamily educational. It was a coaching program. I was a coaching student. He wasn't, but we were both in the network. And I reached out to him because I realized he was in the market that I was looking in. All right. So he had an 803 area code on his profile, which is Columbia, South Carolina. And, you know, I knew that area code because that's where my wife's family's from. They all have 803 phone numbers. Right. So started talking with him just because he had the 803 area code. And then over the course of weeks, we would, you know, when I'd see a deal, I'd pick up the phone and call him. Hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And eventually we started talking more and more. And it got to the point to where one day we just had this discussion. It's like, hey, what's in your buy box? What's in my buy box? And we agreed that everything that overlapped, we would partner on. 
And it went from there. And so it was kind of a chance meeting, you know, me scrolling through, you know, uh, I, I think this group was Slack at the time, you know, scrolling through a Slack channel and looking at profiles to first conversation to several more conversations to, hey, we've got, uh, you know, we're, we're getting along, let's try partnering on a deal. And we ended up partnering on nine different properties together. I think that's a really good way of of doing it. And then real quick, similar property we closed on on Friday with a different group. It's a guy I met on LinkedIn. We happened to both be in the DC area and we would get together for lunch about every three or four months. And after I retired and moved away, we, we kept on talking with each other about a, on a monthly basis. And finally, a deal came up that we partnered on. So it takes time, I think, is one of the issues. So don't try to force it. But yeah, I think it's it's also... You have to talk to a lot of people before you start finding the ones that you you want to get comfortable with. One of the pieces of advice, Joseph, take notes. You know, after each night, put it in either a CRM or an Excel because yeah. this person's a capital raiser, this person's a deal finder in this area. Whatever it is, write it all down because you're you're never going to remember. And you, when you have a deal and you need to go through your list of who I'm going to potentially partner with to get this deal done, it's because it's going to be very very valuable to you because it takes the village and close the deal. Yeah. I will add one more thing and then we're going to close. I guess I get the last word this time. Know what you want to get going into the networking. And somebody gave me this tip a couple of years ago and it's brilliant. It's know what you're looking for going into networking. And when you meet somebody, if you realize that they're not going to help you or they're not the person that you need, make it a quick conversation. Hey, nice to meet you. You know, great talking and excuse yourself and go find somebody else. I think having focus in these networking events on this is what I need will help you in the long term. Does that answer your question? Yeah, no, that was great. I appreciate it. All right. Well, we are about out of time. So one last question for each of you. Gary, you get to go first. How can listeners learn more about you? Yeah, head over to my website, breakofdaycapital.com. And you can have access to uh, our newsletter. You could set up a call with me. All of our social media links are there, podcast information. So everything is there on our website. All right. Breakofdaycapital.com. And Joseph, same question for you. Yeah, it's same. Um, all, all of my contact information and how you can learn uh, how to invest with me is all at jpaulcap.com. jpaulcap.com. And we'll put uh, the, the websites for both these gentlemen in the show notes. So if you're interested in reaching out to them, please do. And let them know you heard it on the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast. Um, I should say that every time. I don't. But, uh, you know, that just, just came to me. Anyway, thanks a lot, gentlemen. Very much appreciate your time today. Thanks for having me. Yes, thank you. Thanks for listening to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast by the Tribe of Titans. If you're still listening, you obviously liked it. So go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. Leave a five-star rating and review if you haven't already. And then make sure to check out our YouTube channel, which incidentally has a ton of video content that you'll also enjoy and learn from. Now, if you're interested in being on the show, go to our website, diaryofanapartmentinvestor.com and fill out the questionnaire on the website. And for more educational content and for more information about our educational community, check us out at thetribeoftitans.info.